Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone, um, for that wonderful introduction. I promise not to try and sing I Said G, but I do think it would work, you know, if we did it in round song and went round the room. Uh, I'm Nick Poole, and uh, to those of you that I haven't met before, I look forward to meeting you as we go uh, through today. Uh, so I work for an organisation called the Collections Trust, uh, works in the UK uh, and worldwide with uh, museums, libraries, archives, other kinds of cultural heritage organisation. I've been working in data standards for around 20 years of my professional life now, which I, I can't quite bring myself to say out loud. Um, so I've spent my fair share of time in, in rooms uh, with towels wrapped around my head trying to map one data standard to the other. I'm always aware when I come here uh, to UKAD, um, there's a lot of people in this room who know this subject far better than I do. So I come here to betray my depths of ignorance and to share with you the perspective of my work. But I really look forward to you putting me straight uh, on a few points as we go through. What I thought might be useful as a way of kind of leading into the topic of data standards is to talk about human rights. Ever since I was uh, young, I've loved working in and enjoying visiting museums, archives, uh, libraries. I think the ability to reflect on and understand where we came from is one of the characteristics of a, a civilised society. And as many of you have, I've spent enough time travelling and working in countries where heritage is not accessible is used for propagandist uh, agendas to know that societies where you can't access and enjoy heritage uh, are less tolerant, less stable, less productive as a result. So my mission in my work is to try and enable as many people as possible from as many walks of life as possible to enjoy and benefit from uh, that essential cultural right. So what I'm going to talk about a little bit today uh, is how data standards are the things that are going to unlock this collective mission of ours to add value to people's lives. And particularly as we go through uh, a very difficult period for many of our organisations, uh, how we can attract more people through our data standards to get involved in the work that we do, uh, and how we can perhaps come to be better valued and understood uh, by the people who control the budgets and policies uh, that influence our working lives. So I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, first of all, about this place. I don't know if anybody knows this place. Um, it's a place called the Red Location Archive and Museum. Has anybody been there? No, it's, it's in a, a township called New Brighton, uh, which is uh, in a, a, a township just outside Port Elizabeth in South Africa. It's got a population of around 40,000 people. Uh, the unemployment rate at the moment is around uh, 80%. Uh, around 30% of the population are currently HIV positive, and right in the middle uh, of New Brighton, the people of the township, with the support of the South African government, uh, have created an archive and a museum called the Red Location uh, Museum. If you ever have a chance, I, I really do encourage you to go and uh, discover this place. It's extraordinary. The museum's called the Red Location uh, because it's located right in the heart of this uh, glamorous shack settlement, uh, which is New Brighton's <laughs> oldest neighbourhood. Uh, and it's the scene of one of the first public acts of defiance uh, against apartheid uh, when in 1952 a group of railway workers refused to show their uh, passes to enter railway property uh, to do their work. The museum and archive were created by and on behalf of uh, the community and the whole design of the architecture of the building and the display of the material inside it is built around the concept of civic action and, and participation. 
So the whole interior of the archive is structured around these gigantic personal memory boxes. And the story behind those boxes is that when people would travel from rural communities into cities uh, to work, they would take with them a box of personal mementos, of papers, of trinkets, things that reminded them of home. And the idea is that you walk on your own through these memory boxes, each of which is de dedicated to a different personal history of apartheid uh, South Africa, and you bring your own reflection and your own memory to the understanding of what was a very multifaceted and complex part of South Africa's history. So I wanted to share with you uh, the words that this guy, Councillor Jimmy Tutu, said when the Archive and Museum were first launched in the red location. Uh, and I'm going to quote him here. He said, it's marvellous. People will see. It's not about us. It's about another generation that will come who are preparing a fertile ground for the generations that come after them so that they can learn from this institution not going far away. This institution isn't far away in town but in front of their doorsteps. And what's really striking about this place is that it is loved and cared for and worked in uh, by the people who live in the community uh, around it. It's a focus of civic pride and people who have very little contribute time, effort uh, and support to this place because they love it and they love what, they, what it means. And so I think the best way to get people to love what we do as a professional community is to love them, is to provide them with services and ideas that are personal uh, and relevant and emotional. Which means in practical terms that we as the data standards community could do with learning some lessons <coughs> from the world of user-centered design. And so I'm going to spend the time I have uh, this morning just talking about why data standards are a vital and fundamental part of building the kind of user-centered physical and virtual experiences that the audiences of our archives will love and connect to and become <coughs> part of. And to be very clear, because I've, I've been misunderstood on this in the past, when I talk about building institutions that are user-centered, uh, I'm not talking about becoming entertainers or, or pleasing crowds. I'm talking to, about going back to our unique core values as archives, as museums, uh, as libraries, and then whittling away any extraneous ob obstacle that gets between the users, the people who own and love these places, and the simple, most pure, most direct experience uh, of that thing that we offer them, that unique experience uh, of culture and identity and history and heritage uh, that I'd argue is the very heart of, of what we all do uh, for a living. This website and these principles, I'm sure, will be familiar to many of you, but I just thought it was worth going back over them in case you don't spend your day looking at the government's uh, design principles. <coughs> There's a wonderful quote uh, on the gov.uk website uh, in a section which is about how they've used user-centred design uh, to create the platform, uh, which says, people come to gov.uk with specific needs. Anything that gets between our users and meeting those needs should be stripped away. The design of gov.uk reflects this existing primarily as a way of providing the right content and services to our users. And the argument I'd like to put to you today is that we could afford to adopt a similar attitude to the way we approach data standards, that the way we design and deploy the standards that form the basis of our professional work should exist primarily as a way of providing the right content and services to the users we serve. So today I wanted to put to you four design principles for our data that I think are at the heart of an authentic user-centered archive. And I want to look just for a moment at how data standards are the key that unlocks those things for us 
uh, as a professional community. So the four design principles that I'd like to suggest are these, and I'm sure they are incomplete, so I look forward to hearing from you uh, which bits I've left out. But the things I'd like to discuss briefly today are how data standards enable us to build trust into our data, how they enable us to design data that is relevant, how we can deliver machine-readable, interoperable data that scales, and I'll talk a little bit about scale uh, in a minute, and how we can use our design principles of our data standards to create and deliver and manage data that is inherently open. Just to turn first of all to this question of trust, we live in an age in which trust is a currency. Uh, in civic life, we have seen example after example uh, of institutions that have betrayed our public trust, whether it's the NSA, our political structures, the police, the education sector, the erosion of public trust has been a defining feature of much of the previous decade. Trustworthiness to me is something that has to be earned. It comes from behaving with integrity, acting with accountability, uh, and behaving with transparency. And in a digital world, trust is a currency, and it's a currency in which we as a data standards community are already rich. I want to quote to you uh, from an event called Dot Rural 2012, uh, on trust in the digital economy, which said this. The notion of trust lies at the heart of a digital economy. As our daily interactions are increasingly mediated by technology, more than ever we rely on individuals and services with whom we have had no contact in the past, with whom we may never have contact again. Social networking and new technologies expose us to the opinions and thoughts of thousands of strangers but are capable of turning personal data into valuable corporate assets. Organisations increasingly publish data in formats which facilitate aggregation and cross-referencing, but the quality of these data may vary dramatically. There is a fundamental lack of public awareness of these issues, and social policy struggles to keep pace with this rapidly evolving landscape. Such emerging problems require new ways of thinking about trust in the digital age and new approaches to designing technologies for managing trust uh, and helping to mitigate risk in online interactions. As we move as archives into a world of massively distributed open data, consumers are becoming increasingly adept at assigning trustworthiness to the services they use. And they use markers to assign that trustworthiness, whether it's quality, provenance, or the authority and integrity of its source. And data standards are the way that we maintain that persistent link back to that authority, that integrity. So as data standards professionals, we're not simply, or some of us might be, recidivist detail fetishists. Uh, we're not just structuralist thinkers. We are people who are committed to maintaining the connection to the authority of the data as it travels into this brave new world. To me, there is a cultural and historical supply chain in this information world, in the same way that there's a healthcare supply chain, a retail supply chain. But in a massively distributed information environment, such as the one in which we live today, that supply chain is simply becoming more and more diffuse. So in this environment, in this information environment in which we operate, we are able to assign less and less importance to controlled environments, institutions, URLs, uh, identities and buildings. The, the websites and the apps which users make, use, the, the markers which users make to decisions about trustworthiness uh, have become eroded, have become diffuse in this environment. 
Instead, the trustability, the trustworthiness of our data needs to be manifest within our content, our data itself. Wherever it travels in this connected world that we're building, our data needs to carry its integrity with it. And so the data standards we use as a professional community in our daily work define how trusted and trustworthy our information is going to be in this distributed environment. Unless we think that trustworthiness is limited to our data, that will by association come to define the trustworthiness of our institutions and further by association our domain. And so the role of what we do in delivering trustable data is critical to the future development of what archives are going to be uh, in civic society. The second uh, design principle I wanted to talk about this morning and connected to the work we do on data standards is this idea of relevant data. We need to be able to design user-centered archive services that users genuinely feel are connected to them, are relevant to the way that they live their lives. Alongside trust, we know that in this information economy, user attention uh, is the other digital currency on which the internet depends. People already know that their time, their attention, their eyeballs, their participation in digital services has a real financial uh, and personal value, which is why marketing and broadcast are coming increasingly in this generation to be replaced by ideas like content-based marketing, engagement and mass participation. So in this kind of attention-based economy, people expect the services that they're using to be personal and relevant and emotional and engaging. They expect the platforms and interfaces they use to be well-designed, beautiful, responsive, that they'll simplify the interface, simplify the membrane between uh, the user and the experience that they're trying to have. At the same time, users are coming to expect services that adapt dynamically to their needs. They expect that somewhere is somebody is using data mining and analytics to monitor how they're using these services, to understand their behaviors, and iteratively to redesign and improve uh, the experiences so that there are fewer dead ends in their information world and richer, more open-ended uh, experiences. At the same time, end users expect the right to privacy. Uh, they expect the right to be able to access and use information anonymously, unmonitored. And I think much of the modern world, much of the critical role uh, of the archives community is about the trade-off between this right of unobserved use and the desire for increasingly responsive, adaptive uh, information environments. And here again, critically, it's data standards that will enable us to navigate this information environment that we found, find ourselves in. So the standards we use for description, for administration, for discovery, for preservation, dictate how agile, how adaptive, how responsive our information resources are uh, in this world. The third principle I wanted to share then um, was about scale. Um, the third design principle around data standards is for me, alongside trust and relevance, to do with how we're going to deliver data that genuinely scales across a massively distributed audience. So I just wanted to quote a few figures to you around scale. In 2013, 36 million adults in the UK, roughly 73% of the population, accessed the internet every single day. 21 million households, roughly 83%, uh, had internet access in 2013. During January 2014, the Daily Mail reported that it became the most accessed online newspaper website, uh, with 11.7 million visitors daily during January 
alone. 11.7 million people chose to log on to the Mail Online during January of this year. Just to share a few more figures, though. Worldwide in 2013, Google served an average of 2 billion searches a day. That's 2 billion questions that people were looking for answers to. In 2012, the estimated global figure for internet-connected users, according to Kleiner Perkins, was 2.4 billion, roughly a third uh, of the human population, with an average year-on-year -year growth rate of 8% uh, over the preceding four years. And so the digital age, the information and connected age that we live in now, has brought with it an unprecedented expectation of scale. And data and the standards that we use to design our data allows us to serve the needs of audiences, researchers, learners in numbers we could never have dreamt of search serving uh, in our galleries, in our reading rooms, in our buildings. And yet the vast majority of the information we provide as a professional community only ever reaches a fraction uh, of that online population. The best of the best for a leading National Archive institution, not a million miles away from here, uh, in terms of direct visits, uh, is around 23 million a year. The British Library recorded in its slightly unique way for recording web stats, uh, 8.07 million unique hosts served in 2012 to 13. Two billion questions uh, a day on Google, 8.7 million unique hosts served uh, a year. So what you think about these figures really depends on what our expectations are. We either need to allow ourselves simply not to care uh, about the billions of potentially relevant questions that we're not currently answering, or we need to find ways of dramatically scaling uh, both our expectations and the reach of the information that we provide. So for me, the key to scale in this kind of connected information environment <laughs> is to allow our data, with all of its trustability, all of its integrity and provenance, to flow to where the people are. So if we're going to reach that audience of billions or even just millions, we have to learn to value distributed reuse of our information over centralized, <laughs> localized, immediate, controlled access and use. We have to become selfless as a professional community in our idea of what constitutes success with the information services that we design. Instead of more people coming to us, we need to learn to identify our own success in terms of what we enable our audiences to learn and to do. And here again, in case you were thinking I'd gone off piece with data standards, I think it's data standards that are going to enable us to do this. The quality, the integrity, the structure of the information resources uh, we provide are the qualities which will allow us to share it in a distributed way with the whole ecosystem of platforms and websites and services that will bring it to the attention of our potential audience of billions. And on the simplest of levels, if we design our repositories and our website and if we structure our information and use the right taxonomic standards, our data standards will act as the search engine optimization for the vast wealth of knowledge resources uh, that we hold and care for. <coughs> SEO specialists can only dream of the kind of scale and structure and relevance and authority of the information that we take as read in our daily work as archives. So data standards is what's going to enable us to become digitally promiscuous, my favorite phrase uh, of the digital age. We can use all of the platforms that reach mainstream audiences uh, as a springboard for us uh, to bring answers to those two billion questions every day. 
And so finally, I wanted to talk about data standards and, and openness. Again, I'm sure many of you will have downloaded and read uh, the government's <coughs> open data charter, but just in case uh, any of you missed it. If our job is to strip away uh, anything that gets in the way of the user's discovery, enjoyment of, and benefit from the information in our care, then we have to design both our data and our services to be as accessible, usable, discoverable, and shareable as possible. And so fundamentally, openness with our data and our information services means not placing arbitrary boundaries, whether they're institutional or conceptual or structural or terminological, around our information, but instead to design the entire workflow of collecting, interpreting, preserving, and using data around maximizing the openness of our information. So the five principles underlying the open data charter from the government, which I think we can learn a tremendous amount from, are these. The principle of open data by default, a principle that's increasingly being adopted uh, in the, the museum organizations that I work with and around the world, uh, in archives and libraries. Quality and quantity, how you manage services at scale that deal with millions of records but guarantee an integrity of end user experience. How you make sure that that content is usable by all as a civic right of participation. How we can release data to improve and drive new ideas about governance uh, and how data can support innovation, which to those of you working in Europe will know that data is very much seen as the fuel that will su support the kind of smart, sustainable growth that the Commission is seeking to achieve. So in a world of linked open data, to be truly and meaningfully open, uh, our data has to come to publish its own internal structure and relations, and it's the data standards we use that will enable us to do so. So by way of conclusion, I set out this morning uh, to address the theme of going where people are, the vital role of data standards. To me, whether you're working in a library or an archive or a museum or any other kind of publicly accountable cultural institution, whether you're technical or, or non-technical, whether you're a structuralist or not, whether you love standards or you don't, whether you're creative or regimented uh, in your thinking, it's the standards that we all use in our daily work which will define how relevant, how used, how loved and how trusted our services both online and offline are going to be in the future. So in this connected age, in this web of data and the internet of things that we're not looking forward to as part of an unknown future that we live in today already, our data standards aren't just the glue that holds that whole structure together, they're the logical extension of the centuries of learning and professionalization that brought our professional communities to where they are today. So our data standards are the way we're going to build the digital equivalents of the Red Location Archive and Museum. They're the way we're going to build institutions in a connected age that are trusted and loved, important both as places of memory, but also as places of civic uh, engagement. So I leave you simply with this thought. The next time you're back in your office and you're sat at your PC and you open up a catalogue uh, or an object record, you click on a pick list or horror of horrors, you create a user-defined <coughs> field, remember that what you're doing is likely to have a profound and a very real and very physical impact on the trustworthiness of our archives and the information we provide. It's going to have a very real and very profound impact on the relevant to audiences today uh, and in the future. It's going to have an immediate impact on the scale and our expectation of who we can serve 
and the openness of our institutions. So thank you so much for the chance to come and speak with you uh, this morning. I look forward to being told uh, which of the many principles I've forgotten uh, to add in here, and I look forward to spending the rest of the day uh, hearing more about data standards. Thank you very much. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.